0: This This is
1: The Second Second
0: Story Podcast.
1: Welcome back to The Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. Traditional narratives around adoption often focus on two distinct moments. The moment where the adoptee learns they were adopted, and the moment they meet their biological parents. But focusing exclusively on those two events ignores so many other aspects of the adoptee's experience— discussions about privacy versus secrecy, adoptees' rights and medical concerns, and adoptions where the parents' and child's races differed, just to name a few. In this week's story, teller Amanda Don Acevedo shares a pivotal moment in her own experience as an adoptee and how the truth of an individual's life is so much more complex than the base narratives we may know. Recorded live at Haymarket Pub and Brewery in Chicago in January 2023, Second Story is proud to present Adopting.
0: I had just spent three restless weeks in Oxford, Ohio, living in an empty apartment feeling completely untethered. After four years of letting myself be consumed by the college experience, I was living in a suspended pause before my first post-college job started. As those weeks wore on, I suddenly felt dissatisfied with all my decisions. My long-term job prospects seemed dim and nothing was panning out. I only had a three-month summer commitment to fuel me, and I had no idea what would come after that. Days before boarding my plane, I drove six hours to my parents' house in Illinois, and my mom was thrilled to have a few more nights with me. She loved any excuse to celebrate, and this could be an extension of the post-college graduation festivities. We could spend those days cooking our favorite meals together, drinking wine, and chatting late into the night as we waited for my dad to come home from his evening shift the stress of having three days to unpack four years. So I invited my high school bestie, Lauren, to join me for a whirlwind day to help. And she suggested I find my passport since I should be prepared for anything. And I knew exactly where to look. My family kept all important documents in a metal lockbox that was locked with the key, permanently resting in the keyhole. It held titles to cars, all our medical records, old birth and death certificates. And I figured this is where I'd find my passport and retrieved the box from a dusty shelf in my dad's bedroom. When Lauren and I popped open the lid, my passport was resting right on top. But she noticed that below all the papers and envelopes, there were smaller items. And I caught glimpse of what appeared to be my dad's college ID. So we decided to investigate. Silver dollars, collectible baseball cards, an old McDonald's watch that I seem to recall my dad claiming was worth a lot of money. (laughs) And a few of my baby teeth, which is gross, all laid strewn at the bottom. And at the very bottom, we found this manila envelope folded in quarters with no label, nothing. It barely looked like it had been opened. The creases were not as worn. The color was brighter. Its large size, everything about it seemed to stand out awkwardly from the other documents. So unceremoniously, I unfolded the envelope and looked inside. Certificate of Adoption, followed by my name, Amanda Jane Dunn. I could feel the breath. Catch suddenly in my lungs and my heart began pounding. My head felt cloudy and my palms began to sweat because I didn't know I was adopted. I didn't know I was adopted. I was seeing that I must have been adopted. I mean, the paper says that I'm adopted, so I'm adopted. I could sense Lauren talking to me, but the moment froze. In the stillness, I let this revelation wash over me. I felt betrayed that my parents would keep this from me. As an only child, I was extremely close to my parents. They were my biggest supporters, often my confidants. They were the kind of parents I could go to with anything. No problem too serious, nothing insurmountable. So my lack of ability to see this truth made me sick to my stomach. Lauren remembers that I said, what the fuck, what the fuck, what the fuck, over and over again and then time went backwards and forwards. In elementary school for Girl Scouts, we were each asked to create a timeline of our life in pictures. I asked my parents why we didn't have any photos of my mother pregnant or of me in the hospital as an infant. This was explained away by the limited technology of the eighties. We didn't take as many pictures back then, my dad said. Or throughout my entire life, Why had my parents been so mystified by our contrasting personalities? They were constantly commenting on or making fun of my love of order, timeliness, and structure. This always struck a nerve with me. I didn't know why they were fixated on our differences. Or at my grandmother's funeral when I was a teenager, my father's childhood friend Vicky was paying me a compliment and said, ever since your parents got you, you really changed their life or that every few years, meeting my parents for the first time, a new friend would say, you don't look like them. I can remember staring at photos of my mom and dad when they were young, tracing my features back to them. I have her smile. I have their brown hair. I have his eyes. Lauren's voice grounded me back in the present. So are you gonna tell your parents you found this? Bewildered, I wondered what exactly I could say to them. I was terrified that a conversation with them would make this all real. Lauren and I were meticulous as we put everything back in the box exactly as we had found it with the adoption papers seemingly undisturbed at the very bottom. When I saw my parents later that day, I was a hot mess of denial, deep hurt, and anger, and I attempted to spend as little time with them as possible, which was out of the ordinary. Usually, I spent all spare moments with them, often canceling or delaying plans with friends. I'd spend afternoons out in the yard helping my dad water his many petunias and impatience, or I would prep the pontoon boat for our pre-dinner cruise around our small, charming lake afterwards i'd stand at our kitchen island chatting with my mom while she cooked dinner and then late into the evening sitting around our small dimly lit kitchen table. But instead I spent a few evenings distractedly chatting with them at dinner, otherwise I was out of the House or alone in my room and inside I stewed. We were three lone wolves against the world, my mom liked to say, her little mantra about our close-knit family. But now I felt like the lone wolf that had been lied to. My parents were full of secrets and an epic, elaborate lie that was about me. How dare they? How could they? What the actual fuck? I was devastated. That next year is a blur. I would call each of my friends one by one day after day recounting the story of finding the papers over and over and over again each recounting i hoped would make it more real or come with an assurance that nothing had really changed it's just paper i quickly started seeing a 35 year old divorcee and became consumed in our whirlwind romance by winter i was having I don't even know what to call them, emotional outbursts, screaming at my college friends in a hotel room, icing out my roommate and closest friend, getting blackout drunk and stumbling home four miles by myself in the dead of night in Chicago. The compartmentalizing was seeping through any crack it could find. One November night, over a year after finding the papers, I was at my parents' house to have dinner with my mom. We fell back into our pattern of hours of after dinner conversation, sitting at the kitchen table in the glow of the twinkling Christmas lights. She diligently hung each season. She was tipsy, sipping her third glass of Chardonnay. And on an impulse, I said, I know that I'm adopted, you know. (laughs) My mom froze, expressionless. After a brief moment of silent shock, she burst into violent, sobbing tears, and the first words out of her mouth were, I'm such a terrible mother. She then stumbled away from the table, wine in hand. Now, see, I had spent the previous year spinning around and round asking question after question, who in my life knew this about me and who didn't? How much scaffolding did my parents construct to hold up this lie? Was this situation like fucked up at all? Was I my dad's daughter from an affair? I wasn't. But mostly I wondered why? Why did they feel like they had to keep this from me? But the minute I heard those words, I'm such a terrible mother. I felt shame for bringing it up in such a callous way and I felt compassion for my mom. I realized she had carried the secret too. In that moment, I started to understand how a little lie becomes a big lie. How not telling me became easier and harder the older I got. How there must have been so many moments she wanted to say something, but maybe she never had the right words or she was afraid of what would happen after the truth was revealed. When my mom died, three years later, I was unsure if she had ever told my dad about our conversation. But I had a hunch she didn't. (laughs) Sitting in our sad family room, which felt lifeless without her the day before her funeral, I told my dad, everything that I knew. Without any perceivable emotion or even looking at me, he said, How long have you known? Over four years. Suddenly, he looked flustered and upset. He looked me in the eyes and asked, well, Why did you wait so long to tell me? Well, I wondered the same thing, y'all. Years later, I found and met my birth mom. And when i finally saw her for the first time in a small coffee shop in portage park i looked deeply at her every feature every mannerism wondering were we alike it was odd to sit across from a stranger and know that we were intimately connected and i thought when i met her maybe this magic moment would happen i would recognize her as my mom but There was no moment of daughter meeting mother, and instead it was just two people sharing their journeys, which is what I had told myself was all I wanted. But deep down, I did think meeting my birth mom would somehow make whole what was shattered the day I found my adoption papers. And what it has taken time and hindsight for me to realize is that no one can do that for me, not my friends, Not the divorcee, not my mom, not my dad, not even my birth mom. Even if every question I have gets an answer, even if I could know every detail and gather every last bit of information about my adoption, I can't undo what happened. I can't change the truth. Just this Thanksgiving, I was sitting next to my dad who's now dying of liver failure. The majority of the week we spent at his house in Arizona, he remained in one position on the couch, lying on his side, pillow between his legs, eyes glued to the screen watching ESPN. And I wondered if I'd ever have the courage to ask him some of the questions I hoped to ask before. Why didn't you tell me I was adopted? Can you tell me more about how it all came to be? Why can't you acknowledge and talk about this? On the last day of our visit, I sat down next to him, inhaled deeply, took his cold hand into mine. But before I could speak, he squeezed my hand and said, thank you for being here. I love you and I don't regret anything. And I silently squeezed his hand back. When I meet new people, it feels right, complicated, necessary to tell them that I'm adopted. It's an identity I've started to claim, and the more I say it, the less it feels like a secret shameful label I was never meant to know about. And each time I tell someone the words feel more true, that I'm adopted. I'm adopted. I am adopted.
1: This story was produced by RJ Silva and Ali Drum, curated by Jess Kadish and directed by Alyssa Vera Ramos. Music and sound design was by Nathan Kissler with live recording engineered by Young Woo. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi nations. Our programming is made possible by the Arts Work Fund, Walter Foundation, MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Treehouse Foundation, Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Hannah and George Stowe, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this This is the second Second
0: Story Podcast.